Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Today is a very special episode of the podcast as we are actually building with Clay. Clay Davis is best known as the male intramural athlete of the year at UNC, where he helped lead his teams to 19 intramural championships. He is a regional and national flag football champion, where he routinely shines as the QB1 on the depth chart, and recently won a silver medal on his annual golf trip at Bandon Dunes. There were two teams in the field. Ryan Denny and I were on the other team. He currently works with IT organizations to drive data, AI, and IoT sales through his global team, and is a proud father of three. He has a wildly popular newsletter and podcast, and fans around the world are all asking, what's next? On today's episode, Clay shares his thoughts on time and attention, and how understanding these two concepts and using them in a positive and productive way can have a profound impact on your life. I hope you enjoy listening to Clay as much as I did. Enjoy. All right, you ready to go? Let's do it. All right, Clay Davis, welcome to your own podcast. I've never wanted to be somewhere more than looking <laughs> at you on a video on my own podcast and me being the one that has no idea what you're going to ask me. You Well, first of all, you gave me the keys to the car, and I'm going to drive it however I want. So <laughs> buckle up, big boy. Um, also, anyone out there, you don't know nerves until you have to interview one of your heroes on his own podcast. This is so strong. I'm tight. I'm tight right now. Not going to lie. You're a little tight. No, that's okay. It's like first hole abandoned. You're a little tight. It's okay. First or every first or every hole we played. All right. So Clay Davis, we are going to start with get to know you questions. It's what the fans want. Couple softballs to start. Would you rather have a mullet or a ponytail? Ponytail. And I mean, have you listened to your own podcast? Are you going to give anything with that or just, you're just going to say one word or what? I'm trying to train my future guests on how to, how to answer. Would you rather? No, I would go, I would go ponytail. I think because of purely professional setting, I think I could get away with it. Mullet. Honestly, I could probably pull off better in a personal sense, purely because I already have the receding hairline. The hair's already going that way. So, you know, it just kind of would naturally flow to the back. But I think in a professional setting, a ponytail would come off a little bit better. Excellent analysis. Question number two, your ideal golf foursome. I have questions. Are these people that, that have to be alive? No. One of them has to be me. So I guess what I really meant is who are the other two? But if you'd like to eliminate me so everyone gets that third person, that's fine. They'll all just assume I was in there to begin with. All right. So... I'm going to break my own rule and I'm probably going to answer this question like three different ways. I'm probably going to talk about it like you talked about in our first episode about 10 10 feet or 10 feet arms or 10 feet legs for about four minutes. And that was with me cutting some of that, I think. So I think, I think I would, 
so I love our foursome of me and you and Curtis and Ryan. That's like unbelievable. So comfortable, beyond comfortable. If we're talking about foursome of all time, I got to put my dad in it. No doubt about it. My dad passed a couple of years ago, so I got to put my dad in it. I think it would be really neat to play with me and my dad, my grandfather who played golf, but I never got to play with him. And, um, and then one of my sons, which I now realize I'm shortcutting two of them, if I say That's another sick. name, but this is juicy, I'll, <laughs> but I'll say Walker cause he's the most interested in golf. So that means we'd have four generations of golfers from a family. I think that would be really neat. And then I'll go one other one. And then pure entertainment would be, um, me, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, and I'll put LeBron James. No, no, I'll put Steph Curry in because Steph Curry is really good at golf and he seems like a good dude. And I think that that could be a lot of fun. Oh man, but Peyton Manning, gosh. Oh, there's so many. No, I'm good. Switching it up. Final answer is for that foursome is Tiger, MJ, and Peyton Manning. So if we could just hold on a second in the pot, I'm going to make a note in my calendar for two, th- what is it? 2022. So maybe like 2032, August, I'll try to FaceTime Hayes and Wells and just let them know, Hey, you got left out of that foursome. Like it's all good. Dad, daddy still the, loves the you. All just, time, just, did the all time foursome you're out. Yeah. I just want to wait till Wells is like 10. So I can totally understand it and go, daddy loves you. Just not as much as Walker. Okay. I just want to make sure you knew that I'll, I'll make sure to deliver that for him. <laughs> um, okay. And then the real, would you rather, I thought about this one long and hard. It is why I've agreed to host your podcast for you. Okay. Stick with me for the whole thing. Everyone knows you're a big UNC basketball fan. Okay. Would you rather UNC wins 20 more NCAA men's basketball championships over the remainder of your lifetime, but Duke wins 30. Okay. They win 30 more NCAA championships. Or... Would you rather UNC only wins three more for the remainder of your lifetime, but Duke never makes the NCAA tournament again? I thought you were going to ask me if I would rather have UNC win 20 national championships or have lost to Duke in the final four in Kay's last game. That's where I thought you were going with that question. And I don't know the answer to that question. I want to know that one. Now, now that you brought it up, that's even better than mine. What, what is the answer to that? Because that was your Super Bowl times 10, apparently, getting to the finals. <laughs> Why did I agree for you to start this podcast? <laughs> Why did I give you the keys? All right. I say, for for my the hypothetical I changed to, I say that I would rather Carolina win 20 national championships and lose the game against Duke. Okay. And, and answering the question that I posed to you, I'm the host. I'll take the 20 and Duke winning the 30. That's... 20 times being just overjoyed versus three times being overjoyed. And I think that over time that Duke, if Duke never made the NCAA tournament anymore, they would be just become irrelevant after a couple, like after five, six years, it's like, Oh, well, they're just no longer good, no longer relevant. And maybe and whoever, someone else becomes our like main rival because if K is not there anymore and they're not winning any more games, they eventually become irrelevant. And then my joy of them not making the tournament becomes less. All right. So I think there are probably many times in our lives, like what do they call those sliding doors moments, sliding door moments where you don't really know, like it could have gone one way. I had like five minutes 
of I, I just had this whole ripping mind. I was just going to rip into you for how petty you were and how full of hate you were for Duke. If you had answered the other way, I had it all teed up. And then you're just way too classy. Went with the right answer. And I'm I'm kind of upset about it. But well, I'm upset for not hearing that. I'm upset for not hearing this, this ripping. So I should have answered the other way. But you've also Jonathan Stokey have turned me into a robot over the last like five, (laughs) six years. So, you know, I, I think you should have expected that answer given your tutelage. Very, very fair. Very fair. And I'm glad to see you're on a healthy track there. All right. So we are going to transition to the main part of this podcast and kind of why we talked about having you on your many, many fans, your legions of fans want more of you, not just the questions, but we want to know your opinion on things. You inspired me to start my own podcast. So I have a tennis podcast. I started it, I think after you'd done like two to three episodes, you taught me how to edit. You taught me everything you did. You inspired me to do it. Um, and we, of course, it won't surprise anyone that you were nice enough to give me like an hour of your time in the beginning so we could do a practice. And one of the things we talked about in that practice podcast was basically the concept of time and attention. And we did it and that podcast will never air because I said, um, 75 times, like a hundred times, you know, about 50 times. My voice sounded terrible. I've never been more uncomfortable. But the topic that we talked about was fascinating. And I want to have you back on my own podcast, but I also want to talk to you about that on here, if that's okay. Yeah. And hey, man, you were the first episode on this podcast ever. And so I was so pumped when you called me and said, hey, I'm kind of thinking about doing this podcast thing. So I was all in. So I'm pumped for you. You've had a lot of cool guests. We're going to link your pod. And I am just so pumped to hear that you love doing it, that you're all in on it and excited to get into this topic because I'm probably have too much of an opinion on time and attention. So yeah, so time and attention is the topic. And maybe just for the listeners out there, see if you can elaborate on what you mean when we just talk about time and attention. How do you define time and, and how do you define that attention? I think we all have heard about time being our most valuable asset. And I've always believed that. I believe that for the longest time, that time's our most valuable asset. It became extremely apparent, you know, with the passing of my father and everything that he went through. And I think what I've realized reading more, learning more, kind of doing some introspection is that I think that attention is actually more important. And I'll, I'll give you an example as to why and kind of differentiate why this is. Uh, imagine that you've been working six months straight. You haven't taken a vacation. You're working 60, 70 hours a week. Um, just really grinding. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go take a vacation. I'm going to go to the beach with whoever, by myself, with my family, friends, whatever. And you're sitting on the beach and you got a you know drink in your hand or a good book and you look out, the waves are crashing. You, you have time off, right? You, you, your time is off. But if you're sitting there and the book's in your hand, you're reading the pages, you ever, you ever read a book and you read the page and then you flip the page, you're like, what did I just read? I have no idea what I just read. Has that ever happened to you? All the time. Well, yeah, the the few books that I have read, yes, that has happened. (laughs) So that's happened to me many times. And it's because our attention is on something completely different. So even if you have time off and your attention is on an email that you need to send or a project that you need to complete at work or bills that you need to pay or whatever it is, and you're not paying attention to the book you're reading or the friends you're around or the, you know, the kid that's building the sandcastle five feet away from you or just the beautiful scenery that's in front of you. If your attention 
is not on that moment or it's on the, the things that you've asked for time away from, then are you, do you really have time off? My contention is that you, that you don't, that you really haven't taken the time away. So that's why I'm of the, I'm of the ilk that attention is more important than time. And so I think our attention is our most valuable asset. How do you know if you are putting your attention on air quote, the right things? It's a good question. I think it takes a lot of introspection and it doesn't happen overnight. There's an exercise that I did probably three years ago that every day I woke up, I wrote down what I wanted just in life. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you actually want? Like long term or like on on a short term or a long term? I'll probably split the difference. Medium term. Okay. Like what do you, not, not today, not tomorrow, maybe not even this year, but just in, in general, this chapter of your life, what do you want? And it's amazing. And you write it down and then you wake up the next morning, you write it down and it becomes more and more clear. It changes a little bit. What I found it is changed a little bit. And then it became pretty consistent with little adaptations and it became very clear. And what that answer ended up being was what I ended up wanting to prioritize or anything that served that because it became way more clear that I, where, what I wanted to value. And I think it just takes introspection and that it could be doing that an exercise like that. We had Parker Klein on, on my podcast a few episodes ago and you know, he has an app that's actually dedicated to this. You can, you can go to his website and look and it's like, why do I like certain things? Why do I enjoy certain things? And you can figure out your why basically. It's why I ask every guest, what is your why? Why are you here? Because I want people to think about it. Because if you, if you really think about it and you really challenge yourself and you understand what your why is, then anything that comes up, you can immediately ask yourself, does that serve my why? And if it doesn't, then why are you doing it? And some things we have to do to survive, to put a roof over our, over our heads, put food on our table. But there's many things on the why that if you have that, you're going to have clarity, which then can drive where you can put your attention. Do you mind sharing when you were right on that sheet of paper every morning, where it was that you wanted to put your attention? Actually, I want to see if I can find it. Hold on. So my, the first time I did it, I said the ability to spend my time how I want to have competition in my life to do good for other people who are less fortunate. That was the first, first time I wrote it. And then I wrote like three or four more and I'll throw up another one and then I'll read you the last one. One of the middle ones was to wake up and not have a schedule, to be able to seize the day with my passions, like family, friends, and sports, to fill my day with my passions, to lend my time and not need money in return. And then the final one that I got to, which is probably still pretty accurate, and this exercise was done a couple years ago, to be present for as many moments as possible and make memories for those that I love and for those who have less than I do. And so if I think about that, and that's, again, I, I think that's still pretty accurate for what I actually want. And if I can accomplish that with my, my attention and my time, I still need time to do those things, but my attention and my time, and I can put more of the bucket of my time and my attention towards that or something that serves that, I think that that will fulfill me more 
give me more happiness, give me more joy and kind of fuel me more than not serving that. I remember once you told me maybe this was like 10 years ago that you're like, man, I, I might be very motivated with my work, like maybe want to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So if you'd done that exercise 10 years ago, that sheet of paper looks drastically different. And 100%. There, are plenty, there are plenty of studies out there that show you that humans can't really predict what they're going to want in the future. It's a very difficult thing for people to do. How do you cope with that where you kind of go, well, this is what I want now, but maybe when I get there in two years or three years or whenever that time is, it's quite possible you actually want your attention and time for something else. Do you ever worry about that? I don't worry about that, but I'm also just not a worrier because I think it's like a whole journey thing. Like, how do you know until you actually do it and that you learn and you get data points along the way? It's like, okay, well, I thought I wanted this, but actually I do, I do want that. And to your point, you asked me five seven years ago, something like that. I said, yeah, I want to be a CEO of a fortune 500 company. Well, I go along and I start to learn about what life is like as a CEO. Not that I was a CEO, but I got to know CEOs. I got to know people who were in high level positions and are in high level positions. And I got to see what their work-life balance is. And it was just like, this doesn't align with what I want. I think it's one thing to on a whim say, you know what? I don't want that anymore. It's another thing to start really thinking about whether it's through meditation, through an exercise like I went through before, talking with friends, talking with your, your, your wife or your spouse and doing it multiple times that you just keep bringing up similar points. It's like, man, this is kind of innately what I want or what I don't want. And I think that over time, if you've put the effort into thinking, man, this is, and, and, and had that trial and error, it's not going to be the same, but maybe as it was three or four years ago, but I think directionally, you're probably going to have a higher percentage of being correct. And then you just make edits along the way, but I don't worry about it. I don't, I, yeah, I try to take joy in as many moments as I can and I'm not great at it, but I'm trying to be better and try to learn from my misgivings, my failures and you know, edit as needed on, oh, hey, you know what? Actually, you know, I don't really love whatever it is. And I'll just, you know, kind of start phasing that out of my life. You mentioned one of the things was trying to be as present as possible for as many moments as, as you could. And the example you used about the book, reading the book and not, you know, really even knowing what happened there. I had that all the time, maybe with far less productive things than than reading a book. But what exercises do you do or what, what techniques do you do to make sure that you're present and to kind of free your attention? So this is a multi-year journey I've been on is to figure out what makes sense. I mean, I, there was probably two or three years ago, I was thinking, okay, I need to think about meditation. And so I would wake up at 6 a.m. and go downstairs and sit on a pillow on the ground and just close my eyes and try to meditate. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was, I had heard so many people talk about how the power of meditation and how impactful it was. People I knew, people I didn't know. It just seemed to be something that was synonymous with people who have been really, very successful in their life. So I'll give it a shot. So I did it. And like the first time I did it, I think I lasted about four minutes before I opened my eyes. The next time it was about seven minutes and I ended up getting up to about 35, 40 minutes over the course of a couple of weeks. And I did it most days. I would go downstairs, the house would be quiet, and I'd do it. 
and it was fine. But I, I tried it for about a month and I'm sure that there are meditation experts who would say, well, you got to do it for like a year or six months or longer, but I, it wasn't enough for me. So I said, okay, I recognize that I need more time to talk to myself. I think that's what most of meditation is, is to learn how to hear yourself and kind of let things go. And I recognize that there are other opportunities for me to do that. So an example is when we had Ellie, our dog, like I go on walks and usually the first thing I would do is I'd pop my AirPods in and listen to a podcast or I listen to go call a friend. And those are great things to do, but I recognize that I have, I have other opportunities to go do that. So most walks, I would just not bring my phone, not bring my AirPods and I would just walk and it would basically be a walking meditation. So I still allowed myself to do that, but I did it in an environment that made more sense to me because I like being active. So I got to walk my dog. I got to, you know, have a good pace, but I also got to try to be present during a walk, right? Listen to the birds, listen to, you know, say hi to neighbors, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever was going on instead of just being locked in my own world, you know, listening to baseline intelligence. (laughs) So love that there was that, there was that type of thing. And then very similarly, I'm in the car all the time. And my instinct has always been pick up the phone and call someone. And I, over time, adapted that to say, well, maybe I can use this time to just sit in silence, drive, but be in silence and, and use that time to let myself talk to myself. And it's amazing what you say to yourself over time. And you kind of learn how to be with yourself and, and learn how to not be as much in a hurry because it's okay to be not watching TV or not on your phone or not listening to something or not talking to someone. That's something that it took a long time for me to get to that point. And my point is, is that I trial and errored a lot of this over time. And for me, what worked was picking spots in my day where I could not have my phone, where I could not have a distraction and kind of use it as quote unquote meditation, which then back to your original question of has allowed me in the other moments to be more present with my kids and other things because I kind of learned how to be okay with just being in the moment. It's like I trained, I've I've been working on training my brain to just be okay with not doing something or just doing whatever the, the thing, walking my dog, playing with my kid, driving a car, like just being okay with that and not trying to do seven other things at the same time. So you said it's it's amazing what you'll say to yourself in those moments when you're walking quietly. What's an example of of a topic or thought that you felt like consistently showed up on those walks or on those drives? What what was the prevailing concept that you felt like you kept gravitating towards? Most recently was just trying to block out the video image replay of you knocking in the bunker shot on 17. <laughs> Soul for, snatcher. Us to, for, for us to lose the match. So other than that, I, hmm, this will partially answer your question. I'll use the walks as an example. Now, when I walk outside, most of the time, I actually hear nature. I actually hear birds. There's so many birds. It's wild. And before I walked outside and it was just I did. I never heard it. I never, if you had asked me, were there birds outside? I would have said no. 
because I didn't hear them. My point in saying that is like over time, I kind of had like trained my brain to focus on the things I felt like were the things I wanted to focus on. So walk outside and now I kind of like automatically hear the birds because that's kind of, it's a peaceful thing. It's a nice, it's kind of reminder of, you know, there's more to life than, you know, just technology and whatever, and that nature's still all around us. And that's it for me, a very peaceful thing. Um, but I think over time I have been working on training, bringing myself back to the moment. And I still have to do that a lot, but you know, you'll catch yourself just drifting away, right? Like, you know, thinking about something, something you got to do, something funny that's happened, person you need to call. And then over time, like instead of drifting away for three or four minutes, I drift away for maybe 30 seconds and then I can like, and then something in my brain maybe grabs, grabs me. But I don't think you build that up until, again, a meditation guru could be listening to this and be like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. But this has been my experience is that over time, I felt like I've trained my brain to come back quicker than I did before. You clearly work inside. So I coach tennis for the listeners out there that don't know me that well. And so I'm outside and I can tell you that most of the birds I hear are not peaceful and soothing. They annoy the living hell out of me. And I usually hit tennis balls somewhere in the general area that they live and scatter them. So they're quiet. So I've had a different experience with the birds than you, but I'm so glad that meditation helped. Yet you another reason why you need to come to North Carolina and come back to Raleigh and be here with the peaceful birds. There's one, there's one that lives on the driving range is right next to my court and he lives on the tallest pole. He goes up there and he sits there on the 7am lesson and just squawks. And it is a little dagger into my brain. So maybe, I'll, maybe I will use some of these meditation techniques to uh, see the joy in that or find, find my present, <laughs> find my present <laughs> self while that bird just annoys the hell out of me. Um, so, so someone like me, like I am obsessed with efficiency. So when I hear you say, well, I have time in the car, which I, I don't drive much. I always want to live close to work because I hate driving. I don't want to spend much of my life in a car. But when I'm in the car, I listen to Build With Clay. I listen to some type of podcast because I go, that's a great time for me to get this in before I go home and see Jeannie or before I want to go play golf with a friend or, or whatever it might be. I go, that's a good time where I can like double dip, Right. For someone like me, who I definitely, when I'm listening to you, I need to spend more time in the present. How much time do you think I should start with? Because I'm always trying to do something. And you're talking about how you carved out time to do nothing. Where should I start? I think it's different for every person. For you, and I know you pretty well. I think that being intentional about your phone, as an example. So when you get home, you go see your lovely wife, Jeannie, and she's probably cooked an amazing meal. And maybe you already do this, but just throwing out an example is just like, go and set your phone in a drawer. It's not even out. You can't, it's like, you have to be very intentional about accessing it. It's not just sitting on the counter and you can just grab it and look at it real quick for whatever length of time that it takes for you to eat dinner with her. Or, you know, you go take your dog out for a walk and do the same. Like those like little things is to just set aside time for you to just be in the moment because Technology makes it hard, right? The easy thing to do is to turn on the TV. The easy thing to do is to put on music. The easy thing to do is to have your phone at, uh, you know, just sitting in your pocket, wait for it to buzz. And I'm not saying to just like ignore technology or ignore your phone, but 
I think if you're asking for one little thing to do is find a time where you typically have your phone when it's like, do I really need my phone or do I really need to have the TV on for this moment? And just see how that goes. You'll probably feel like an addict for the first 20 minutes and then, you know, you'll kind of release and it'll be okay. That type of thing, the efficiency with my time and maybe this will lead you into the next topic, but we've joked, I feel like I live, my life is just a vacation. I get to coach tennis outside. We live in a place we enjoy. I'm not very stressed out all the time. Like I'm never in a rush to go anywhere. I don't have all these things on a to-do list. And yet I always feel like I'm in a hurry kind of because I want to be efficient. You know, if I can get somewhere in 10 minutes instead of 12, I really want to do that. And then I ask myself, why uh, Why was I so excited to get to Harris Teeter at 4.07 instead of 4.09? I, it, I, I don't understand that, but many people probably operate the same way. We're there in a hurry. When did you realize that maybe you lived life kind of that way where you were in a hurry? I have a very specific example. So when Hayes, who is now my oldest, he's six years old, when he was about one and a half years old, Saturday morning, it's about 9 a.m., and he had, uh, we had been playing a little bit. It was just me and him downstairs. And I was sitting on the edge of the couch with my phone Saturday morning at 9am. And I grabbed my phone, started looking at it and by habit, just clicked my email icon to look at my work email on Saturday at 9am. I was just playing with my son literally like 10 seconds ago. And I just grabbed my phone, clicked my email. Cause I had done that for my whole career. And I'm scrolling through emails, looking, nothing's important as you know, usually it's Saturday at 9am. Nothing's really that urgent. Two minutes later, I look up and my son is in the other room. I stopped in that moment and just thought to myself, what the hell are you doing? You just had that undivided attention to talk about being present. Kids are unbelievable at being fully present in the moment. They aren't thinking about anything else except what is right in front of them. And Hayes, my son just walked away. And I'm thinking, you just had your son who is fully in this moment with you. And you decided to grab your phone on a Saturday morning to look at work emails that had no urgency whatsoever, that on Monday could have been responded to with no issue whatsoever. And instead, I just let it flood my attention and take my time away from the thing that I say is the most important thing in the world, which is my son. So immediately in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to look at my phone, at the email on my phone for the rest of the weekend. I'm just going to see how it goes. I'm not going to say anything to anyone. I'm not going to do anything. I just got back. And that would be the first time in my career that I'd ever done that. Not looked at email on my phone. And I didn't tell anyone I wasn't looking at email. I came back on Monday. You know what? Everything was fine. IBM was still churning. <laughs> no, no one was yelling at me. It was fine. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again, but I'm going to tell Whitney this time. I'm going to tell my wife. So she, I can have kind of some accountability. I said, Friday around 6 PM, I'm going to log off my email. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to delete it from my phone. So I don't have the temptation. And then Monday morning, I'm going to turn it back on. So it's like, I'm walking out of the office and I'm walking back into the office. And I went that whole weekend and I had the itches, you know, I was like a little, like a cocaine addict, like, you know, like, dude, I need, I need a hit of my email. Little twit, little twitchy, little twitchy. And got through that. I think by like Saturday around lunchtime, I was 
feeling okay. By Sunday, I was like, wow, this is this is great. And then Monday, man, I got, so one, I opened my email, had plenty of email, but none of it needed to be responded to right away. And I realized like, wow, I, I could do this. This is how you're supposed to live because not only was I much more present in those moments over the weekend with my friends, with my family, but with work, I actually was way more energized. I got to work Monday and I was like, my brain had been, my attention had been freed up for 48 hours, not really even thinking about work and the amount of ideas that I had, the amount of energy that I had, because I got a break from what I was doing. And usually when you take a break, you're going to be more energized. So then to finalize the story, I got up my team on a call on that. I, I was leading about 11 people at that time. I got them on a conference call on Tuesday told them exactly what I had just done, told them that exact story. And I said, I would love, you don't have to do this, not a mandate. I would love for you to try it. And I had people earlier in their career. I had people that had been, been in at IBM for 30 years. I said, give it a shot, try it. And what was really cool was the next Monday morning, I think seven or eight people tried it. And one of the guys who had been at IBM for a long time did it the whole weekend. He said he walked downstairs on Saturday morning sat down at the breakfast table and his wife was reading the newspaper and she just put the newspaper down and looked at him very oddly because she was used to him going into his office and just checking his email, getting on his computer, like all that. And he was just sitting there drinking a coffee. And he said, Clay, it was the most magical thing. That little moment where she was looking at me like, wow, we haven't had coffee together on a Saturday morning in forever. And it was all because I just didn't, I told myself not to go look at my phone, not to go look at my email. And it's just those little things that I think make a huge difference. And so that's when I realized that I had, for whatever reason, society, myself had trained my brain that I needed to be on 24 seven. I needed to be as responsive as possible. I needed to do more as much as possible, as fast as possible, be the most responsive. And what I realized in those moments is that what that was doing was taking me away from what I deemed actually the most important thing in my life. And that not only was it doing that, but it was actually lowering my energy and my ability to be effective in the job. And that's when I realized that I was in a hurry. What's amazing, what kind of, I guess, maybe magnifies how much of a hurry you were kind of in on autopilot is you said Hayes was like one and a half, right? So that was yep. while he was still in that golf foursome and you still ignored him. <laughs> I mean, now, now we know that if, if it was today, Shots we would all... Fired. It would all it would all make sense today if you're like, well, Daddy's got to do something, Hayes. But that was back when he made the foursome, so that's that's pretty wild. Why do you think it is though? Like, I think most people are wired that way today. Why are we programmed to feel like we should be in a hurry? We are told that that's what success is. We're shown that's what success is. More, 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 more. Faster, 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 faster. The more things you're doing, the more money you're making, the more the more projects you're involved in, the more times you can email, the more texts you can have, the more followers you have, the more everything, more, more, more. That's what society deems as successful. And what's funny is that back in the day, I'm talking you know, 1800s, leisure was a sign of wealth. Now busyness is a sign of wealth. And you're on this, uh, I think it's called a hedonic treadmill where it's like keeping up with the Joneses. 
you see your peer, you see someone, they're getting a bigger house, they're getting a bigger car, they're getting promotions at work, they're working 80 hours a week, they're buying Rolexes, they're doing whatever, whatever the keeping up the Joneses is in your world. And you feel like you, you feel this like pressure, like I, I'm a failure because I'm not working as hard as they are, or I'm not doing as much as they are. And everyone is different. I'm, I know I'm coming at it from my very unique perspective. But what I realized is that most of those people that we see who are, that are the Joneses that we're trying to keep up with, a lot of them aren't very happy. Because they've gotten to the point where, sure, they've got a really nice car. They've got a really nice house. They have a vacation home. But their personal life may not be great. They're, they may not be very happy in their marriage. They may have never seen their kid play a t-ball game because they're always on a plane. They're always working. They're always doing whatever, whatever it is. And I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone. Some people have it figured out and that's amazing. But I would venture to say that a lot of people that we look up to, myself included, are so busy that they don't realize that they're not happy. And I don't want to sacrifice being in a hurry for being less happy just because society tells me or puts pressure on me that I need to be doing more. Why do you think people have a hard time? We talked about this a, a lot with our wives, uh, being a satisficer versus a maximizer in decision-making. And maybe you'll yeah, you want to, you want to define that? You can probably do it better, fill in the gaps for me, but satisficer is it's basically like, Hey, if it's a B plus, if we can come to a B plus answer pretty quickly and it's, you know, all things are equal. We don't know. Like, um, yeah, it's good enough. Hey, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. You want to go here? Yeah. They, they make food. It's all good. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much happy with that. For me, my personal hell is a nice 25 minute conversation where we can go through every type of food and every type of venue. And could we go there? And, and we just never eat, but we maybe get to the perfect restaurant at that particular time, that would be the life of a maximizer. Well okay. said. So for me, like I, I know what makes me happy. I, I'm very, I feel very fortunate that that just, I kind of go, oh, that's what I'd like to do. I, I want to spend my time doing that. I don't often get confused of what I enjoy or not. How, how do you become self-aware of that? I think many people out there don't know, like you said, exactly what makes them happy. They're, they're keeping up with the Joneses. They're chasing something when their reality is they don't really deep down want that. That's not the thing they want the most to make them happy. How do you become self-aware of that? Yeah. So this gets back to the attention part that we talked about earlier is talking about freeing up your time, freeing up um, building in margin in your life is a great way. I've heard it. That was from John Mark Comer who wrote Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which reinforced a lot of these things that I've, you know, talking about and what I will talk about going forward is building in that time, building in margin in your life to, to test one, to test, do I like this thing, right? Like wh whatever I'm doing, whatever career I'm in, whatever interests I have, hobbies I have, however I'm spending my time and my attention today, building in margin so you can actually kind of think about it and have some introspection and like challenge yourself a little bit about, do I really like this? I mean, talking to whoever, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier in the pod is building in time to do that. But the easy thing to do is to look at someone else who's kind of similar to you, maybe in a similar field and a similar phase of life 
and be like, I want that. That's, that's the easy thing to do. I want that. Okay. Well, what do they do? Well, they probably just work a bunch and they, you know, do this and do that. I'm going to go pick their brain and that's fine. Go do that. But I think the harder thing to do is to really kind of do this self therapy, really ask yourself multiple times, do the exercise I talked about, go to Parker Klein's like, you know, what do you actually want? And then answer why seven times. Why do I actually want that? Well, why? Okay. This is why. Well, why do you want that? Well, this is why. Well, why do you want that? And just continue to challenge yourself. And this is not a one-time thing. You got to continue to challenge yourself on what you want. But I just, I think the easy thing to do is to just do more because that's what society is doing. This treadmill, like most of the people around us are just doing more and more and more and more. And so the easy thing to do is just kind of be on that same treadmill and think, okay, let's, here we go. Like, let's just go do more. And we don't give ourselves time and attention to like really think about what we want. And I'm, I'm sure I'm sounding repetitive through this pod, but I think it, a lot of that comes back to that. And, and I, I think there's so many ways that we can build in that margin. I mean, there's, there's crazy stats out there, Stokey. Before the age of 21, the average American male spends 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours. That is the same amount of hours that people say that's how you become an expert in something. That's wild. The average American spends 700 hours on social media. 2,700 uh, hours watching TV. So I'm not I'm saying don't like do just, social media. I, I think you just said, uh, I just pretend I calculate this, but I'm pretty sure it's 415 days of video games. So was that 5% of their life? And I'm guessing they weren't on that joystick when they were three years old. So that is an alarming, <laughs> that is an alarming. By the way, how old did I sound saying joystick? Was it 1975? Yeah, my little and, and look, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying not to play video games or not to play, you know, like oh, a 12 year old, you're not you got to go meditate. Like no, like go have fun, go play video games, go watch TV, go be on your social media. That's I'm not saying don't don't do that, but that is a lot of your life that you're dedicating to something that is statistically shown to be low on actually driving happiness in your life. And they're great outlets and they're great, you know, it's a great way to connect with people. I mean, I know kids, kids these days, that's how they connect with their friends. They're playing video games and chatting and all that. Go do that. Like, I'm not here to like say what, what you should or shouldn't do, but a year of your life before the age of 21 is playing a video game. Like that's wild to me. After this podcast, I am going to go watch 20 minutes of the Hall of Fame preseason game, which I feel like is even more useless than uh, playing a video game. But I just wanted to share that with you. I had to get that off my chest. I am going to throw away 20 minutes, but I will enjoy it. Football is kind of back. The other thing, too, you were kind of just talking about it, but a little bit of like comparison to others. Like you see what other people are doing and you and I are on this quest. We're, we're becoming quite robotic. We're feeding off each other, but I have never cared what I hope this doesn't sound cold, but I, if someone else has fun playing video games or wanting to be a CEO, that's great. I, I don't care what makes you happy. I hope you are happy. I'd like to do what makes me happy. 
And I think a lot of people, like you said, they get lost because, oh, I see what Clay's doing. And maybe on the outside, he seems, or there's a lot of people who do this. And so that's what I should do. When you keep talking about that, I, I, I always go back to the comparison. What do they say? Comparison is the thief of joy. And I see that with my tennis players all the time. They're good, but I know someone who's better. Therefore, I suck and I'm unhappy. So I better, you know, chase what they have. And instead of they just thought of all the cool things they've accomplished, they'd, they'd love what they've done. And I think some people need that validation. What I'm doing is what the masses are doing or other people think that that is a worthy use of my time instead of just trusting their own kind of judgment on that. It's the easy thing to do. And we, we tend to gravitate, all of us humans tend to gravitate towards the easy thing to do. And the easy thing to do is to look and be like, hey, that's what society tells me is successful. I'm going to go and try to do that. And then, you know, 20 years later, it's like, man, wow, did I really want to do that? And we have to try stuff and we're not going to be perfect at it. The decision we make when we're 20 is probably not the same decision we'll make when we're 25 or 30 or 35 and it keeps going. So I'm all about like trying stuff. Like that's literally our family motto is try. But I don't know what is in your brain or in your DNA that makes you not care about, I know you care about other people. You don't care how you, you just care that they're happy. You don't care how they are happy. It's like, great. You're happy. Couldn't care less. I want them to be happy. I could not care less how they find that happiness. If I can help them, I'd love to help them with that, but to each their own. I don't know why this hedonic treadmill is a thing. Like why this keeping up the Joneses is a thing. You know, I need to have a psychologist on the, uh, on the pod to, to talk about that. But I just think that we never feel like we have enough because there's always someone else that has more. And it's this natural desire and longing to have more when really, if you probably had asked yourself a couple years before that, oh, hey, hey, Clay, you're going to make this much money. You're going to have this family. You're going to have this house. You're going to have whatever, whatever the things are that you have. You would have signed up for that in a heartbeat, I would bet. But once you get to that point, it's like, oh, well, I, but I could have that. And that that seems awesome. I know I have this, but that's great and all, but I want to have that now. Like That guy, I know, that girl has that. I, I know most of your listeners probably don't play tennis, but that exact example. So, you know, I might have a girl and she's a she's 20 in the country as a 14 year old. And I have another girl who's 10 in the country as an 18-year-old, so she's much better. And I'll say, hey, wouldn't you love to hit like the 18-year-old? And that 14-year-old girl will go, yeah, I'd be so happy if I did that. And I go, yeah, you know what? That 18-year-old girl thinks she sucks. And I ask that 18-year-old girl, wouldn't you want to play like a, like a young professional? And she goes, oh, I'd be so happy. And that young professional thinks they stink because they're not in the top 100. And it's the same concept of just there's something more out there. So even though I've accomplished a lot, I see that every day. I mean, in the tennis lens, but it's really hard because you don't want people to not try things. You don't want people to work. Like you want people to have work ethic and competitiveness. And you know, that's what drives you. And if that's like, that's great. So it's this like weird line of, yes, sure. I may have enough, but I want more. Like it's okay to want more, but there's like this balance of wanting more, but being okay with what you have and being content with what you have to talk a little bit more about the hurry piece. There's 
There's three main emotions that we as humans want to feel. We want to feel loved. We want to feel joy. And we want to have peace. So love, joy, and peace. If you had that in spades, and I think you do, but if, if our society had that in spades, I mean, our society would be amazing. Everyone having joy, everyone having peace, everyone having love, that'd be great. Being in a hurry is incompatible with all three of those. You cannot be in a hurry and have peace. You cannot be in a hurry and have joy. Like I think I'll you know give an example for myself. If we're running late, to drop a kid off at school or something. And we're in a hurry. Like I'm hurrying the boys out the, out the door, right? I've found myself doing that in the past. Like, oh, come on, let's go. Let's go. That is not a joyful experience. Hustling two kids who are just in their own present moment, playing with their toy, no hurry in the world, have no idea what time it is, what day it is, what year it is. They're just in their moment and trying to get them to get out the door. That's not a joyful experience. So you can't, so point being, you can't be in a hurry and be in, and find joy. You can't be in a hurry. You can't hurry love. I mean, you hear that all the time, but you can't be in a hurry and have love. So the three main emotions that we want as human beings, we cannot have if we're in a hurry. Yet we're always in a hurry. Doesn't make sense. So my, my next question was going to be, you've done a great job over the last couple of years of dedicating time to reflection and figuring out where you want to spend your time, what you want to give your attention to, slowing things down. Are those three areas, love, joy, and peace, those three areas, is that what you feel like you have maximized over this journey to eliminate hurry? Or what is the biggest benefit that you have seen in your life from all of this work that you've done to free your time, free your attention, eliminate the hurry? What is the single biggest benefit there? I definitely have more of all three. There is definitely more love. There is definitely more peace and there's definitely more joy the single thing what a podcast host what a great question you know i'm just gonna let the people out there know when the podcast guest says great question there is not a better compliment in the world that you can get i mean that is like man that's like a good boy for the doggy over here i just i'm ecstatic right now you are deep in thought they can't see you in your ears you know (laughs) (laughs) oh man the single thing that is the thing that keeps coming to my mind is being present. So if I'm out on the golf course with you and Curtis and Ryan, I'm just, I'm way more present in that moment than I ever have been in the past. If I'm playing with my kids on the floor or playing a game, I'm way more present. Now I, I'm certainly not perfect. I, earlier today, we were wrestling on the couch with my boys. That's all they wanted to do. They were so all about it. And all I was thinking about was what I needed to get done tomorrow. Like I couldn't get my brain out of it. So I, I tell you that because I'm I'm not anywhere near perfect at this, but I'm way better at it than I was before. And so being present with my family, with my friends, the, the, the things that I care about most, which I think then brings me that joy, peace, and love. I have no no time for your faux modesty there. Everyone listening knows you are perfect, Clay. And your three boys, as I as I joke as I joke around, they are little angels. They are the they are the greatest kids. But I know no no person is perfect. But um, like I said, I I was partially kidding in the beginning. But you are someone I look up to because you have an incredible perspective on life. And yes, we are recording this. And yes, it's something we've talked about before. And it's something that 
a lot of people can benefit from hearing your opinions, but this is stuff that we would talk about after I've destroyed you on the golf course and we're staying in a hotel room at night. And these are, this is why I love talking, you know, like talking on the phone for me is if you get a call from me, that's, that's a big deal. And you are one of the people I call because you give amazing insight. You are a thinker. Like you said, you are willing to give your time, which we all know now is very valuable to help. Not as valuable as my attention though. (laughs) I am. I'm always honored when Jeannie had some stuff with work and you said, Hey, yeah, I'm free, man. Give me a call. Like, let's talk about 30 minutes of, of maybe what you're thinking and how you're going through it. And that's why you're the best. And that's why people listen to your podcast. And that's why you have so many friends and, and loved ones out there who feel that way about you. So like I said, this is uh, this has been cool for me. I, I hope people could could stand me so they could get an extra 50 minutes of you instead of answering the uh, asking the questions. But yeah, this was awesome, Clay. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll leave the hurry topic with, I think building in margin is the most important thing. If you're like just getting started in this journey is building in margin and how you do that is starting to deprioritize some things and starting to say no to some things that maybe you've said yes to. I've grown up a people pleaser. I always want people to like me and saying no makes me think that they're not going to like me anymore. But you got to start saying no to things. Like I started saying no to email on weekends as an example. I started saying no to a lot of social media. I started saying no to a lot more TV. And when you start saying no to things, sure, it hurts at the beginning because it's like stripping part of your identity away. But what it's actually doing is freeing up time, freeing up your attention for you to then try things that are new or prioritize your own time or give you give yourself margin so you don't feel like you have to be in as much of a hurry. And so like if you're on the, the beginning of this journey, I think that that's probably the best thing that you can do is to sit down and think about how I spend my day to day, how I spend my week. Think about like what are the things I can either stop doing or not do as frequently. And it's amazing you start doing those, those things, those little things that time adds up and it's amazing how much it can free your attention. And you don't know what you'll tell yourself in those moments once you free it up, but you got to free it up. All right. Well, Clay, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to thank you for coming on your own podcast, but we just built with Clay and we'll see you guys next week. Clay, thanks for coming on. Hey listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.